you grew up in a small town in the south, you shared a common problem with uh, others that grew up in a small town in the south. And of course, that is, there is nothing to do on the weekends. Amen? Amen. And you all, all know, all of us that grew up in small towns, you know that if you combine nothing to do with teenagers looking for something to do, it usually ends up in trouble. Uh, or at least in some kind of mischief. I know where I grew up in South Texas, we were surrounded by bayous. You may call them ditches. We called them bayous. And uh, we would go out on the bayous to kill time. They had big oil uh, pipelines that would run across the bayous. And you'd go to, we were bored. We'd run and have races across these pylons on the bayou. Or we'd go jump off the railroad trestle. Anybody had to go jump off a railroad trestle, make a rope swing uh, off of an overpass bridge. Uh, we did all kinds of stupid things because we were trying to find what was good, clean fun according to our parents. And so uh, we did silly things. Maybe if you were younger, you went snipe hunting. Any of you ever go snipe hunting? Amen. Some of you experienced that. Well, when you got older, uh, it was no more snipe hunting. That wasn't fun anymore. And so someone would always bring up, let's go cow tipping. And uh, you see, cow tipping involved the idea that cows would sleep, some of them, standing up. And somehow you could sneak into a field where these cows were sleeping, standing up, and sneak up on them and push them over. And so that became part of our good, clean fun. Anybody here go cow tipping? Amen. Some of you did. So if you went cow tipping, you realize there are some inherent problems with the idea behind cow tipping. The first thing is you come in and you realize that while some cows do sleep standing up, it is a very shallow sleep. And they can be easily awakened so that if you were to go and push, many times they would be awakened. The second problem that's inherent with that is that uh, even though a cow is sleeping, he still weighs 800 pounds. And uh, 150 pounds pushing is not going to tip over uh, an 800-pound cow. And the third and probably the most important problem with going cow tipping is in the dark, sometimes it's very difficult to determine between a sleeping cow and an awake cow. And even worse, uh, it's very difficult to determine between a sleeping cow and an awake bull. And uh, I speak from experience, and I'll just tell you uh, a little warning. It doesn't matter how hard you run and push a thousand-pound bull that is not sleeping. Uh, all that's going to do is cause you great distress when everyone else is running from that angry bull. Because, see, some cows just can't be tipped over. It just doesn't happen. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that if there are some things in our lives, some things in the church's life that have become sacred cows, things that, that are good things, some of them are great things, things that the intention of them was to be good things, but that we have elevated to a place that is unhealthy to the point that we no longer are uh, objective in dealing with it. And sometimes those things become so sacred to us, so important to us, that they verge on becoming idols. Because you see, what we've done is we've taken these things that were good and great, and some of them meant to be very beneficial, and we've elevated them to a place to where they many times will rob our passion and our purpose for God. And they will distract us from finding what God is calling us to do in reaching the world for Christ. And so what I want to suggest to you and have you think for just a few moments this morning are about sacred cows in your life, and not just in your life, but in your spiritual life. Things that, that have somehow gotten out of balance to become uh, almost to the border, almost to the verge of becoming an idol. Let me give you an example. I want to read from our passage, Matthew chapter 12. 
Jesus is walking with his disciples, and as usual when he's walking, uh, he's gathered a crowd, and in that crowd are some of the Pharisees, and these were the religious leaders. And I know any time that we talk about Pharisees, there is a tendency to think of these guys as bad guys. They weren't bad guys. They were you and me. Uh, they were the religious, passionate people. They were just striving to, to encounter God. They were striving to know God. But they were so entrenched in what they had done in the past, in the ways that they'd done it in the past, and in the law, that they'd allowed themselves to start worshiping the law instead of worshiping God. And they missed Jesus in His presence. And so don't always paint them with a bad picture. Sometimes we equate a lot more to the Pharisees than we do to the disciples. And so as you read through this, think about where you would stand. So at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to Him, Look, your disciples are going to do what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered into the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. David when he was on the run from Saul, they were hungry, they hadn't eaten, they went into a temple and uh, a tabernacle really where they were storing some of the consecrated bread and wine and they drank it and ate it because they were starving. So that's the example he uses. He said, haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? The priests work all day on the Sabbath. So Jesus was turning this back around on them. He said, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. He's talking about himself. For if you had known what these words mean, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting from Hosea. You would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went to their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there looking and looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted that they might kill Jesus. You see, what, what Jesus was bringing attention to is that the Pharisees had elevated the third and the fourth command higher, the fourth command really, which is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. They were elevating that to an unhealthy place where it became more important than the first and second command that you have no other God before me. You see, they were looking at, at, at this good command to honor the Sabbath, but they were solely focused on it, so intently trying to pursue and defend it that they missed out on the purpose of the Sabbath. Because you see, the Sabbath wasn't just about not working or not healing or not helping. It was about honoring and glorifying God. And we do the same thing with these sacred cows. Many of them good things that were created for us to honor and glorify God, that were created to give us an avenue to worship God. Instead of using it as an avenue, we've started worshiping those things. They were worshiping the Sabbath. And you saw what the Pharisees' response was when Jesus started tipping their sacred cow. that They ran off and plotted to kill him because, you see, that's the same thing that happens in church. Very dangerous place to begin to start naming and tipping sacred cows because this morning... As we talk, I promise there's going to be something inside of you. If one of these things that I mentioned is your sacred cow, that's going to rise up and cause you some anger. Because any time that the Word of God and any time God's Spirit begins to challenge our comfortable self and those things that we place in front of God, it bothers us. Well, let me just say it's a good thing to be bothered. 
it's a good thing when the Holy Spirit moves you from a place of comfort. The disciples weren't ready for it, but you and I need to be. You see, my fear is we're doing the same thing in the church that they were doing. Jesus summarized all of the commandments in the New Testament into two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that he got rid of the commandments. Some people say, well, that means we don't have to obey them. No, he didn't, he didn't abolish them. He fulfilled them. He said, let me tell you, those first four commandments, those deal with loving God. Those next six, they deal with loving man. Put those together, it's the two greatest commandments. But what happens in the church is we take those two commandments and we add our sacred cow along to it. See, we say, okay, love God. What does it mean to be a Christian? Love God. Love your neighbor. But also love this. Or also believe this. Or also follow this. Whatever that sacred cow is. And what happens unintentionally is we begin to fall into a place of legalism where we start taking what was our sacred cow and make it uniform for everybody And all of a sudden, everybody has to do it the way we believe or the way we say or the way we want or they're not a Christian or they're not as spiritual. And you see, what happens when we begin to do that is that thing becomes an idol in our life because what it has done is it has robbed you of your devotion and passion for Christ. And anything, please hear me, anything, no matter how good, no matter how great, that robs us of our passion and love for our relationship with Jesus Christ is an idol. And it's wrong. So this morning, I want to just talk about a couple of sacred cows. And, and I want you to evaluate whether or not these things can struggle in your own life. You see, anything that competes with God is detrimental to the church and it's detrimental to our lives. Now, I could name a lot of things, but I just, as I prayed through this, just came up with a couple. And you could probably come up with more, maybe some that you're struggling with. Is these or just a couple that I think are, are relevant for the church in 2016. And if they're relevant for the church, they're relevant for you and I. Things that the church is facing. When I say the church, I don't just mean First Baptist Bowling Rock. I mean the church, big T, big C, Christ's church, his kingdom. And these are things that we, if we're not careful, are very in danger of making idols in the church. And so before we begin to talk about this, let me just warn you. As I said, when you begin to tip sacred cows... It, begins, it can cause some anger. And so some of you, the first reaction is going to be to some of these to say, wait a minute, Pastor, what are you saying? And, and you're going to be like that bull that I tried to tip over and want to come after me. So before you start charging, I want you to take a step back and ask the Holy Spirit, it, do I have a problem with that? Because usually it's the things that we don't realize that we've made idols that we're the most sensitive about, that we're the most... Uh, sensitive towards. And so I want you to pray through that. So the first one, and and this one is going to throw you off, but I want you to hear me out. The first one I think that's a sacred cow that we've made an idol is the Bible. They say, Pastor, the Bible? The Bible is God's Word. It is God's Word. It's the most important book in the history of the world. It's alive and it's active and anybody that reads it, it moves in their heart and it's the most powerful truth that pierces hearts, that exposes darkness, that sets the captives free. But the Bible is not God. It reveals the character and nature of God. It shows us the glory of God. It shows us God's redemptive framework from before the foundations of the earth to the end of eternity. But it's not God. Timeless. It's timely. Every word in the Bible is truth. 
Every word in the Bible transcends cultures. It transcends kingdoms. It transcends time. Our study that we just did on, on looking at culture, engaging culture, we realized that this word of God, not only did it speak to great men thousands of years ago, but it speaks to what we are dealing with today, every circumstance, every situation. But the Bible is not God. You see, my fear is there are a lot of people in the church, of the church, that know all about this book. They read it every day. Some of them have it memorized, but they don't know God. See, my fear in the church is we've got some people that have made this an idol. We have what we call bibliolatry, where people are worshiping the book more than the one who the book points to. People who are beginning to elevate the book to a place that it hinders their relationship to God. Let me, let me just make sure you understand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to denigrate the Bible, but I'm trying to make sure that we stay focused on the one who the Bible leads us to. So many people begin to elevate this book and what it says and how it says it. And if you were to question anything, it, it destroys everything that they believe. Listen, there is nobody that stands on the Word of God stronger than I do. Those of you that have been here before and heard me preach, you know that I proclaim that this is the truth. What I say is not true. What I say is an interpretation of what the truth and the power of the Word of God is. This is what sets the captives free. But if you took this book away, if we didn't have this book, God would still move in the hearts of people. God would still be revealing Himself. God would still be saving people. So we need to be very careful about elevating this book to a place it was never meant to be. I saw a list online of a pastor that had talked about this bibliolatry, and he, he came up with a list of things, of, of, of suggestions on how you might know whether or not the Bible has become more than a sacred cow but an idol in your life. He said, if you think that your version of the Bible is the only real Bible, then it might be an idol in your life. He said, if you feel guilty when you don't read your Bible every day, the Bible might be becoming an idol in your life. You read certain verses in an attempt to prove other Christians wrong, the Bible might become an idol in your life. You believe that the Bible is black and white on every issue, you might be allowing the Bible to become an idol. If you discover inconsistencies in the Bible, and instead of looking for truth, you, you start doubting God, then you might make the Bible an idol in your life. If you define your relationship by how much you read your Bible, the Bible might be an idol in your life. Because you see, the Bible reveals and is a guide for relationship to the Holy God. It's not a relationship to the Bible. We need to be very careful. I hear people tell me all the time that, you know, this translation and that translation is the only way. And if you don't believe that, and you don't believe this. And let me dispel any of that. The only perfect translation of the Bible is the original authors. In the original translations, everything else is a translation. Whether you want to read something that was written in the 1600s or something that was written in the 1980s. Now there are some translations that miss it, but let me tell you something. A translation that misses whether or not a period goes someplace or not is not going to distort the power of the Word of God to come through this book. That's why you can quote Scripture and people's lives are changed. Why? Because the power is not in you knowing exactly how you quoted it. The power is in the Word. But we need to be very careful not making this an idol. Everybody okay? Nobody ready to charge? No bulls coming at me? Go to the second one. A second thing that we are very careful not turning into an idol from a sacred cow is certain doctrines, certain truths that we believe. Now, hear me out. 
Doctrine is very important. Doctrine is what defines what we believe. And there are certain doctrines that we believe are essential to being an evangelical Christian. These are non-negotiable. You see, we believe in the triune God. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Spirit. That's why when someone tells you that we worship the same God as those of Islam, we don't. They are monotheistic. They believe that there is God. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. They do not believe that the Holy Spirit is God. They do not worship the Jehovah God of the Bible. That's non-negotiable. We believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth as a man. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He gave himself, gave his own life as an atoning sacrifice for your sin, dying on a cross. Buried, resurrected three days later, bodily, physically resurrected. And after about 45 days, he ascended to heaven where he now waits to call and redeem his church. And the only way to be a part of that called and redeemed is by faith in Jesus Christ, Christ alone. Those things are non-negotiable, but there are a lot of other things that are negotiable. There are a lot of doctrines that we believe that don't affect those things, but yet we have allowed them to become what were second tier, first tier. See, some people believe that the Holy Spirit gives you a gift of tongues and that when the sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is tongues. Others believe that tongues have ceased, that nobody speaks in tongues anymore. Some people believe that the earth is only six to 10,000 years old. Others believe it's a million or 10 million or even older. Some people believe that women cannot serve in the church, can't have any place or any role in the church. Others believe that they can serve uh, leading or teaching, and some believe they can be a pastor. There's a disparity. Some people believe that Jesus, when he returns, is going to return and there's going to be seven years of tribulation, and he's going to come before the tribulation or middle of the tribulation or after the tribulation. And some people believe that all of the Old Testament is part of a dispensation that goes into the end times. And I know I just confused all of you. Some people believe that in Reformed theology, what we used to call Calvinism when I was young, believed in predestination and a strong predestination. Others believe in what's called Arminianism or free will. See, all of those things are important truths. All of those things help us discover more about Christ, more about how we can serve Christ. But what happens in the church is we take some of those things and we elevate it to the place of essential, and those things become the most important things in our walk with Christ. I know some people that all they read is book on end times. They devote all of their times to books on end times. I've got some students that were in my ministry that are so into the reform movement that all they do is, is, is dive into how they can prove these different things. Listen, if you're spending more time pursuing and trying to prove a doctrine over following hard after Christ, it's an idol in your life. And it's an idol that's become divisive in the church. It's an idol that's become divisive to people around us. It's dangerous. You see, when we refuse to listen and dialogue about some of these topics, we say, I'm not even going to listen. I'm closed my mind. That thing may become an idol to you. When we begin to say, this is what I believe, and if you don't believe the way I believe, then you're wrong, and we begin to judge other people about it, if it's not one of those essentials that I mentioned earlier, then that thing may become an idol to you whole lot of stuff we don't know let me tell you something it doesn't really matter because you see what matters is those first things i said you can get those first things those essential things 
all of these other things we'll figure out someday. When we're standing before the throne, you can ask God, did, did Adam have a belly button? I don't know. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I'm not going to spend time trying to argue. I know people that have lost their faith because they say, well, listen, I don't know that Jonah was swallowed by a fish or a whale or a shark. It's not real clear, and I don't know if it's real plausible. Listen, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I just know that he was inside of a fish, and he was running from God. But that doesn't affect what Jesus did for my life. You see, we've got to be careful with some of these things. Doctrine, the Word of God, and the third, which is going to help all of us understand some truth, is worship style. Now, I know, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I've preached on worship styles, and I've talked about worship styles, and we've dealt with all of this, but do you understand that styles of worship has been the most divisive issue in the church in the last 25 years? It has destroyed and split more churches than any other issue. Now, let me tell you how sad that is. We spend about an hour and a half to two hours a week in corporate worship. But yet we are allowing whether or not we sing with a choir or a worship team, a piano or a guitar to split churches and cause God's work to stop because of it. That's selfish. And it's become an idol. You see, the problem is like the Pharisees, so many people are worshiping worship instead of worshiping the one who worship was created for. Let me ask you this. Can you defend your style of worship, the style that you like? Can you go against another style of worship without using the pronouns I or me? Can you? Because if you can't defend or argue against a style of worship or defend your style of worship without saying I or me, it may be an idol. Because you see, I or me is not what worship is about. Because I'm not here to worry about what I want. I'm here to worry about what he wants. He wants my heart. He wants my passion. He wants my devotion. Let me tell you something. If the word of God is preached, if the word of God is sung, if the word of God is proclaimed, and you don't get anything out of it, it's because you weren't here to worship. Doesn't matter how it was sung. Doesn't matter how it's proclaimed. Because it's a matter of how he gets worship. We've got to be very careful. Listen, I know styles and, and, and what we like or what we don't like. But somehow we've got the church. I'm not talking about us. We have progressed. Unbelievable. Let me just tell you this. And those of you that are new or have been here recently, nine years here. What we did this morning, what we did last week, we could have never done three years ago in this church. It would have torn this church apart. People would have been angry. People would have been walking out mad. And that's not speaking against anyone or anything. That's just telling you that's where God's That while you may like courses and you may like hymns, we can still come together and worship God as one body and not allow it to affect. This is a great opportunity while we're combined for these 12 or 13 weeks, for those of you that prefer one style over the other, to step back and say, Holy Spirit, teach me something. I'm not going to worry about how, I'm going to worry about who. And if I focus on who, it doesn't matter if I'm singing Jesus saves, Jesus saves, or whether I'm singing amazing love. How can it be? Because you see, when I am focusing on Him, then all of a sudden, the power of God is released. Worship styles are destroyed still. And it's nothing new. Let me tell you something, it's of the devil. We have got to learn to remove ourselves. That's what, you know, Jesus says, die to self. We've got to remove ourselves from the integration of worship and just allow ourselves to be a vessel 
which it just flows through. But it's nothing new. I was reading something this week. 1719, Isaac Watts wrote the song that we sang over and over again in December, Joy to the World. Everybody here know Joy to the World? We sang it over and over again. When Isaac Watts wrote that in 1719, not many, if any, churches would allow it to be sung in their church. They called it a ditty. See, what they sang in churches was psalms put to, put to music. And when that song began to come out, people said it is going to be the degradation of worship as we know it. it this song and these songs like this are going to destroy the church. They called it Watts's Whimsies. And you can go read scholars that say, we're not singing Watts's Whimsies in our church. There's not any of you that would call Joy to the World a ditty, is there? You see, we need to recognize that all of this stuff is the way the devil grinds in. And if you're not willing to step back and say, regardless of the worship, that I can go. Listen, I was in Brazil with a mission troop on the banks of the Amazon River, and these people got up and began to worship. I didn't know a word they were singing. I didn't know the tune. I didn't know the verse. But I was just caught up because I recognized who they were worshiping. And when I recognized who they were worshiping, it changed everything. You see, we can't allow worship styles to become an idol in the church. Sacred cows, worship styles, certain doctrines, the Word of God even. And, and the fourth one I'm just going to mention is, is denominationalism. Denominational tie. I know some of you that are younger, denominations don't mean anything. It, praise the Lord, that's changing. But when I was a kid, when you moved into town, the first thing that you did, I remember my parents driving in when we moved into a new town. We've got to go find the Baptist church because we're Baptist. And everybody had it big on their sign, right? Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian. We were Baptist. We wouldn't be caught dead in a Presbyterian church, right? We certainly weren't going to the Whiskey Pellions. I mean, right? They, we, they, right? We, Baptist, man, we stayed away from that. You see, what happened is we allowed those denominational names to determine how we were going to worship and where we were going to worship. Now listen, denominations were a good thing. They were created to allow people of same beliefs, of same interpretations to come together and join together and work together for missions and ministry. And that is important. But what happened is, over the years, they became walls of division. And what happens in church, and, and listen, I am Baptist. I'm Baptist because I believe in what the Baptists stand for, autonomy of the local church and priesthood of the believers. I believe in those principles. But I don't mind worshiping with Presbyterians that claim the name Christ or Episcopalian or even that teach the name. You see, what happens is when we start thinking our denomination is the only right denomination, then it's an idol. And it can destroy the work of God. I praise the Lord that this next generation doesn't have a clue what denominationalism is. As the walls are falling down, I'm excited that so many people here come from all backgrounds. We have every background in this church this morning. And you are welcome here. Now, I know some of you are going to come out of here and what's going to be said after we leave here is that Rusty's taking Baptist off the name of the church. That's the way it works. I'm not. But I want you to know, at First Baptist Church of Blowing Rock, we're going to be evangelical Christian first, Baptist. We're not going to allow that title to limit anything that God wants to do. In 
I'm not real happy with either of the groups that we associate with, Baptist group. Not real happy with either direction. I'm happy with the direction First Baptist Church is moving. And I'm happy with the direction that God is doing in your heart. We've got to be careful about allowing these things to become idols. Now, as I worked on this list, and I'm almost done, as I worked on this list, I, I tell you, I came up with like 20 things. And I said, Lord, I can't preach two hours. Well, I could, but everybody would be mad. So I prayed through, and I came up with those four. But there were a couple other things that just stayed in my spirit. And I said, I'll just quickly mention them before I end. That we are in danger today of becoming idols. The first is celebrity ministry. In this, you know, action-packed, everything's quick, technology-driven society, we are seeing an elevation of ministers to a place that they don't need to be. And I'm not just talking about megachurch ministers. Listen, I, just a side note on technology. I, I believe technology is opening the door to God spreading the word around the world. But I think we've got to be careful. I've got some old students that their idea of church is getting together as a family and listening to a podcast of a famous pastor that's in another town. Now, I love podcasts. We have podcasts. You can listen to me anytime you want. You have trouble going to sleep? Download it. You can put it on. I listen to four or five a week. Love pastors. But you cannot replace a podcast with being with the body every week for corporate worship and the power that is released there. Dangerous. We have people that are elevating pastors. They, they're, they're becoming idols. They, they worship. And listen, and that, that's everywhere. Please hear me. Pastors have become the mascots of their churches, and that's not the way the church was created. You don't believe me? Go out and find somebody when they ask. Where do you go to church? Go to First Baptist Blowing Rock. You know the second question they'll ask? Who's the pastor? Why? Because the pastors have become the representative of the church. It's not supposed to be. I'm not the representative of the church. You are. I don't want people to come here because of me or because of Sid or because of the choir or because of the children's ministry. I want them to come here because of the community and the power of God that they experience while they're here, that they get fulfilled and they can be released for God's service. Now, you can come for that, but don't stay for that. You hear people say, that's so-and-so's church. That's Rusty's church. Wrong. That's a dangerous precedent because, you see, what happens is people start following personalities and then they move from church to church to church following that personality. And then all of a sudden they start thinking that the only way they can hear from God is through that person. That's idolatry and it's dangerous. Listen, I'm, I'm not only the same as you, I'm worse than many of you. Don't put me on a pedestal. You'll be disappointed. I, my goal always in this church has been never to build it around my personality. Never to build it around me. I want people to say, I go to First Baptist Blowing Rock because the people love Jesus. And the people are excited about serving. And they are friendly. And they want to do ministry. And they want to do missions. Oh yeah, the preacher's not bad. You can tolerate him. The worship's okay. But that other stuff is great. Got to be careful. The, the last thing that become an idol, that sacred cow is programming church. Program. Did you realize that Sunday school is not mentioned in Acts, not mentioned in the early church? Vacation Bible school is not there. Choirs aren't there. Worship teams aren't there. Greeters aren't there. Children's ministry is not there. Programs are good things. We do programs to do ministry, but what happens is programs sometimes in churches take on lives of their own. And they become sacred cows that you can't ever talk about. I remember my first church I lived in, I served in, in Treeport. 
was almost 30 years ago. Remember, we had a bulletin board in the hall that was never used. Never used. I thought, well, I'm a youth minister. I'm going to go decorate that bulletin board. So I went and decorated that bulletin board. I didn't know that that was the flower committee's bulletin board. I mean, you just thought they were going to excommunicate me. We've got to have a deacon's meeting. Rusty put something on the flower committee's bulletin board. Everyone knows, even though nothing's been on it for four years and we don't even have a flower committee, there was one person that was angry about it. That's dangerous. You see, we can't elevate those things above doing what God has called us to do. We've got to be able to evaluate everything. Say, why do we do it? Is it doing anything? Then get rid of it. Let's do something that is. We can't allow sacred cows to destroy what Jesus is trying to do in the church. What Jesus was trying to teach the Pharisees is that we can't lose focus on what's important. We can't allow these cows to become idols. I love he quoted Hosea 6.6 there in the passage. Here's what Hosea 6.6 says. For I desire mercy, it's God talking, not sacrifice. I desire an acknowledgement of God over a burnt offering. You know what he's saying? You know what's more important than what you do? How you work. What's more important than a burnt offering? You acknowledging God. You see, we've done it the opposite way. If I just read my Bible, then I'm a good Christian. If I, if I just believe these doctrines, I'm a good Christian. If I just become a Baptist, if I just do this and I just do that, wrong. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Period. Exclamation. Let me ask you this. Maybe I didn't talk about yourself. But is there anything in your life that is robbing you of your passion for God? Anything in your life, maybe something good, a relationship, a, something that's going, that you've elevated to a place it doesn't need to be. Stealing your joy, stealing your worship. You need to be real careful because it can become an idol before you ever know. Maybe for you and me today, time we tips. Let's pray.